you want to build your business in a way that the jobs that you are doing are the jobs that you are world-class at and that you love. You want to do what you love. And that means every other job in the business should eventually be taken on by somebody else or automated by a system so that you don't have to do it. That's a key principle. Plug into the minds of the world's cutting edge innovators, visionaries, and thought leaders, rewriting the rules of high performance at work. It's your time to make an impact. I am your host, Jason Campbell, and this is Superhumans at Work, a Mind Valley podcast. Hi, everybody. This is Jason Mark Campbell. Welcome back to Superhumans at Work. Today, I have a dear friend, an amazing guest, and a Mind Valley author who's going to be coming here speaking about a topic that I'm personally very passionate about and something I'm actually experiencing with myself. And I know a lot of the listeners here might not necessarily be in the position of a career. You might be freelancing. You might be an entrepreneur. You might be doing a side gig, but all of these have something in common. They involve entrepreneurship. Now, entrepreneurship can also be filled with a lot of fear, fear of failure. Maybe you're fearing what other people think of you. Maybe you're thinking it's the wrong time to do it. And what I want to do in this podcast is really go with Eric Edmeads and talk about what are the things that allows you to overcome this fear and really be able to move forward as an entrepreneur and have the best chances of being successful. This is going to be a fantastic conversation. And for those of you who don't know Eric, he is the legendary teacher on the Mind Valley platform who has brought products such as Wild Fit. It's been something I've personally went through, amazing transformation. He has been a public speaking teacher, which I've also taken his classes on, which has allowed me to improve at least the way that I communicate. And of course, now he's bringing this business freedom ideology to the Mind Valley platform. And we're going to talk a bit more about this entrepreneurship. Eric, thank you so much for being on the show. Hey, Jason, always a pleasure to spend time with you. And I love sharing on this topic. So I'm super excited. Well, I mean, I've had the luxury of having you speak with me and share with me about entrepreneurship right while I was in the transition of being someone within a career and moving into being more of an entrepreneur, more of a contractor myself. And so tell me a bit about what you've seen happening in the world in general, like in the workplace, how transitions are happening with people's career. Because, you know, in the old times, we're saying, hey, get a job, you know, you, you find that job, you hold it for 35 years, you retire. That's been a bit disrupted. Now we're seeing people maybe jumping through four or five different careers in their lifetime. But there's a lot of opportunities that seem to open up where people are becoming more contractors, being more entrepreneurs. What have you witnessed in the space? One thing that's become really clear to me is that everyone is an entrepreneur. Everybody is running a business of a kind. And so if somebody goes and gets a job at a factory, they have to sell themselves and then they have to provide value, but they're making one sale and that they're hoping that sale will last them for the rest of their life and lead them up to retirement, right? Like, so at the end of the day though, they're still selling their time for money. They have this one product, they're selling it every now and again, they might try to upsell it to get a raise, that sort of stuff. The truth is everybody is an entrepreneur of a kind. The challenge that we have and what's really been amplified over the last couple of years with everything that's been going on is the risk reward ratio of different styles of entrepreneurship. So there used to be this idea that if you were the entrepreneur who went and got a job, so you sold yourself, you sold your time, you got a job, that that was the most secure form of entrepreneurship. But that's always been an illusion and that's never been more clear then over the last couple of years with what's happened through the pandemic and what have you, people with what they thought were perfectly secure jobs found out that they had no more security than anybody else did. And I think that's a big shift is as people are beginning to recognize that traditional employment is in fact no more secure than entrepreneurship and entrepreneurship has such a much higher upside, more and more people are turning toward taking charge of their own destiny. 
Mm, I love that definition. I definitely 100% agree with you as well. But there also is a big fear when it comes to becoming or doing that transition to being an entrepreneur and that being outside of the realm of being an employed person. Do you feel like it's a product of the way that we were raised to go through that path of getting a career? Or is there some inherent risks in entrepreneurship that really makes it valid that we should be fearful about joining in? The first thing I'm going to say about this is that unfortunately money can buy happiness. I don't care what they tell you. Like it actually can. And I'm, I'm kind of joking because of course, many people with money are not happy. So while money can buy happiness, it doesn't always, but here's a big distinction. If somebody is living from paycheck to paycheck, then they have very little flexibility about their entrepreneurial approach. They cannot quit their job easily. They cannot seek a side hustle easily. They're in this tough position where they really value their job. And even if their boss is mean to them, they're stuck in it. Now, the minute they have one month of money in the bank, the boss better be a little nicer. The minute they have three months of money in the bank, the boss better actually be a little more respectful. Once they have a year of money in the bank, they're only going to stay in that job if they like it. This is this is a very important distinction. And so when somebody's talking about creating entrepreneurship and their fear, well, wait a minute now. What about the fear of losing your job? How scary is that if you're living paycheck to paycheck? Where same thing, if you're in a business and the fear is, well, what if I go out of business? Well, it's effectively the same thing. And most of us, many of us live in countries that have safety nets for entrepreneurship. I remember in business school, in, well, when I say business school, business class, actually only grade 11 in Halifax, Nova Scotia, I was told to study Casey Irving. I had to do a research project on a guy named Casey Irving and he owned all the gas stations in Eastern Canada and all the trucks, he owned everything. He was a billionaire and he was like one of Canada's only billionaires at the time. But as I dug in on the research, you know what I found out? Six bankruptcies. Six bankruptcies. So you begin to realize that failing, losing your job for that matter, or failing, losing your business for that matter, may simply be a necessary step on your ultimate phenomenal success. And so when you start to look at it that way, then there's not that much to be afraid of. And again, many of us live in countries that have bankruptcy safety nets and unemployment safety nets and stuff like that, that allow us to take a little bit more risk. And then of course, the even better solution is to have built up a little bit of a cash reserve so that you have some leeway. And here's, again, the more financial leeway you have, the more risk you're willing to take. And unfortunately, like sometimes being in business, getting a new job, any of that stuff requires a level of risk. So a bit of a cushion helps with that. That's actually a fundamental thing that I think a lot of these people that preach for entrepreneurship forget to mention. And I think it's one of the most fundamentals. You need to kind of have that cushion so you're willing to make that transitionary risk and it doesn't affect your livelihood as much. But at the same time, you speak about these, these safety net mechanisms. And I'd love to dig more into that because you know the word bankruptcy sounds so nefarious. It sounds like it's the worst thing that could possibly happen. Can you explain a bit more like what does that mean in the concept of someone trying a business, you know, going out there and maybe not having the success that they were predicting and having to go through that process? I first learned about bankruptcy because one of my best friends in the world was a major, major movie star and actress in America and their top 10 tennis player, super famous celebrity. And then she went through a really terrible marriage, divorce, blah, 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 and ended up being pushed into bankruptcy as a result of it. And she would call me on a regular basis going through the pain of it. And here's the issue is that the safety net is there, but the safety net is based upon a shame model. And so particularly in America, if you have to go through bankruptcy, they're going to make you feel terrible. They're going to do everything it can to make you feel terrible because they don't want people using the safety net all the time. 
So they make it painful and difficult and hurtful and all this kind of stuff. But at the end of the day, you pay into that safety net when you pay your taxes. That is part of the deal. The reason you pay Visa and MasterCard, the incredible interest rates that they charge is because many people are never going to pay them back because their business had a problem or what have you. Now, I'm not saying anybody should walk around going, well, I can take every risk in the world. There's bankruptcy protection. No, what I'm saying is, is that I can take reasonable and responsible risks to create further employment for greater people and add greater value to the world, knowing that there is a safety net for me that I'm not going to end up in some form of financial slavery that would have existed 300 years ago. But Jason, even more than that, I want to talk a little bit about one of the biggest lessons I think that we need to have to jump into entrepreneurship. And that is everything is happening for you all the time, especially when it doesn't feel that way. Let me say it again. You've heard the general expression before. Everything is happening for you, not to you all the time, especially when it doesn't feel that way. And that's no more true than in business. I want to give you a great example. Many years ago, I was teaching our business freedom experience five-day program. And there's a game that we play during it where the teams construct actual businesses and they sell real things like it's genuine business. And people can get fired because I try to mirror life as best possible. And then one day they ask, well, could a CEO of the team get fired? And I was like, oh God, I don't really want that kind of a mess in a five-day program. So I made it just about impossible to fire the CEO. Yes. If it's unanimous, the team can fire the CEO. Next morning, CEO got fired. I couldn't believe it. Can you imagine how much that would hurt? Your entire team unanimously fires you. The guy couldn't take it. He was upset. He was angry. He was hurt. He wouldn't learn from it. Couldn't learn from it. He was up stuck with it. Got him on another team. Started playing the game again. On day five, he picks up the microphone and he turns to his team and please listen so closely. He says, I want to thank every single member of my team for not being nice to me and firing me when I needed firing. Last week, I got fired from my job too. And I blamed everybody, my boss, my coworkers, my family. And there was only one person who was responsible. It was me. And if these people on this team had decided that it's just a seminar, that they should be nice to me, I would never have gotten what might be the most important lesson of my life. Thank every one of you. That's a guy who finally got that everything is happening for you, not to you. Whoa, that is incredible. And then in through that is basically that whatever you decide to do, whether you jump into entrepreneurship or not, you're going to go through learnings. And if you do go into entrepreneurship, it seems like there's a lot more lessons that will be waiting for you. Like there's a lot more responsibility that you take for someone who's an entrepreneur because now like you're responsible for the employees, you're responsible for the cash flow, you're responsible for the sales. So you don't have as many, you know, let's say cushiony people to blame if something's not going exactly your way. And Maybe that fear of responsibility, is that also a fear that would come up within entrepreneurship? And what about that fear of the unknown? Would those be kind of the big ones? Yeah. So here's a, an interesting metaphor for business. As you know, I've done these Kilimanjaro adventures for all these years and taking people up to the top of the Kilimanjaro. And what I can tell you is that the summit day of Kilimanjaro is impossibly difficult. It's a very, very difficult thing to do. Unless maybe if you go with Wim Hof, but it's a very challenging, challenging thing to do. And if somebody focuses only on that last step of the mountain, they will never buy the plane ticket. If they really understand how painful and difficult that's going to be, they'll never buy the plane ticket. But you see, the mountain can only be done one step at a time. And so each step you are acclimatizing. In fact, if I took you by helicopter to Kibo Hut and allowed you to do the summit, you didn't have to do the rest of it. You could just do the summit yourself. You would die or you would certainly get sick and you probably wouldn't make it. 
what you have to realize is that the first four days of walking were part of the acclimatization process to get you ready for the altitudes you're about to go to. And business is just like that. By the way, we've seen this. Somebody wins the lottery, what happens? So many times people win the lottery, there's suicides, there's jail, there's debt, there's losing of friends and family. I'll give you one example. Somebody who wins the lottery has in the past had an easy fallback every time one of their friends asked them for money. Nope, can't afford it. But the minute they've won the lottery, they can no longer say, no, I can't afford it. So they either don't learn how to say no and give all their money away, or they say no badly and they lose all their friends and they were never acclimatized for it. People who have their wealth grow slowly and steadily, they learn the rules of money. People whose businesses grow nice and slowly and steadily, maybe rapidly, but steadily, they, they acclimatize to each step. So one of the ways to overcome the fears of entrepreneurship is not to focus on the scary stuff five years from now. You don't need to worry about that. The you of five years from now will be very good at that because of what the you four years from now did, because of what the you three years from now did, because of what the you two years from now did, and because of what you did this year. And that's like focus on the now, not on the fear of the future. It's just not worth it. I... Absolutely love that. I feel even inspired as I hear this, which brings me to, you know, we've talked about these fears and a bit of the safety nets that can overcome this fear, but let's look at the opportunity itself, right? So I want to jump into entrepreneurship. Maybe this is something I've always considered. Now I have a layout of like, all right, there's safety nets. It's great to build a cushion. So I have a runway to get into it. And I now understand that whatever fears I have of things in the future, that's a future problem, but I need to take actions now. So when it comes to entrepreneurship, what are some of the most powerful actions? Maybe it's tools to learn. Maybe it's skills to develop. If I'm about to put myself two feet into entrepreneurship, what are the things you typically advise to start working on? Well, the first thing is get comfortable with the boring. Get comfortable with the boring. And what I mean is, is that when you first start a business, there's this spark of excitement and fear and novelty and all that kind of stuff. But there are some things you can do from day one that will make day six a lot easier. And so whenever you start a business, I'm always asking myself, how can I make day six easier? How can I make day 60 easier? And how can I make year six easier right now? So great example. When I started my first business, I was in my house in England and I had no money. It was a very difficult time. I had a baby on the way. It's a longer story how I ended up in that predicament, but it was scary. And my first client called me up and he goes, look, I'm ready to send this purchase order. What's your fax number? And I'm like, uh, the fax is down at the moment. I'll call you back. Got in the car, drove to the shop, got a fax machine, came home, plugged it in, called him back. Fax is up now. So he sends over the fax, right? And for those of you who don't know what a fax is, well, Google it. So in any event, so now I have this purchase order, but immediately I know that what I should do is email him back because the company I used to work for before, they were terrible. You'd send a purchase order and you'd wait for three days to even know if they got it. They were terrible with customer service. So I already knew one optimization was I should email him back immediately and tell him he got the purchase order. But then I thought, but one day it won't be me sending that email. And I want it to be consistent from now on. So I thought, well, you know what I should do? I should write a templated email. And I thought, no, what would a real company do? And I went and grabbed a FedEx waybill and I looked at it. I looked at the form with the little boxes and the shading and, the, and I went to my word processor and I created something called an order confirmation form where all the data from the purchase order would be submitted into the form. It would be printed out. My signature would be on it. It looked damn official. And I spent 45 minutes creating this. And a friend of mine is like, you're spending 45 minutes on your very first purchase order. How are you ever going to make it in business? And I go, well, you know what? I spend the 45 minutes now. I'll bet you it saves me 300 man hours over the next 10 years. And he's like, 
oh, you are thinking far out, right? And by the way, it totally did because not only did I never have to write that document again, all I had to do is fill in the boxes, but not only that, but as I hired people, I didn't have to train them. I just go fill out that box, just fill it. The training was simple. The message was consistent. The client experience was consistent. And by the way, just for a little fun, that same client many years later called me up. He's on the phone, on speakerphone. He goes, Eric, could you settle a bet? I go, Sure. I don't know how I can settle a bet for you guys. Maybe it's an, they know I'm Canadian. Maybe it's an ice hockey thing. They wanted to know who the greatest was. It was Gretzky. That's my opinion. But anyway, so no, that wasn't the bet. The bet was the one guy bet that we were a multinational. And the other guy, the guy who knew me, bet that we were like, you know, a small home business, right? And so, well, the guy says, and he wants to ask the question to not lead. And he goes, well, how many employees do you have? And you know, when you have eight employees, you quickly justify that what you really have is 12 because there's a few people you hire part-time from time to time, right? 12, 12 I've got. And the guy goes, 12 at your location? <laughs> I'm like, no, this is my location. And he goes, what? Here's what had happened. The way those forms looked and the way we did business was so robust that he was convinced we were a multinational. And that would explain why we landed massive contracts with them. And the only reason that the other guy knew different is because he was my very first client. That's an incredible story. And it speaks to the level of care that you need to put into everything you do within entrepreneurship. Like you're thinking much more long-term. And of course, if you're thinking about, hey, if I'm going to do this thing one time, how many times will I end up doing it in so much time? And how much time can I save by just doing it right the first time? Now, can you be paralyzed by this? Like, I know for me, sometimes I kind of go a little crazy about it. And I like to buy like the best system, the best latest technology so that whatever sales process that happens, it can happen automatically with no effort because I'm, I'm probably lazy a little bit. But at the same time, I have, I have a flair for efficiency. So how do you balance how much you want to refine the process? Should you always go for the best or do you go for the 90% here? I think that you need to remember that money is the lifeblood of your organization. And so in a very real sense, you've got this plate spinning constantly, you know, the spinning plates guys, and that plate can never fall. That's the plate of revenue coming into the business. That plate can never fall. You must always make sure that you or your company is putting reasonable efforts into pre-marketing, marketing, sales, and conversion. It has to be done that way. So now the challenge is, is that where do you find the time to be working on the systems, right? And so if you decide that you're going to go for the very best right away, well, the cost expenditure is probably too much. And secondly, the time invested in setting up the best thing right from the beginning probably takes you away from the sales room. It probably takes you away from your marketing efforts. And so I think that we need to make sure that there's a balance. And I'll tell you that another guy left the same company that I worked for. We both started our businesses within about six months of each other. And about three years later, I saw him drive past me in a Ferrari. And I was pissed off, frankly. I was like, I'm working so hard and dude's driving a Ferrari and I'm not. And I don't really want a Ferrari, but it represented a level of liquidity in his life that I just couldn't understand. And, and I started to get caught up and feel competitive and small. But then I spoke to a friend of mine that knew the guy and he's like, first of all, he leased it. And secondly, he has no employees. So he works his ass off doing everything himself and does not reinvest in the business. Whereas what you've been doing is taking your profits and reinvesting. You already at that point, I already had about 15 staff and I could take vacations and stuff. Would I rather have vacations or a Ferrari? And that's very clear to me, right? And by the way, when I eventually sold that business nine years later, dude was still a one or two man band struggling his way to make bills every month. And I sold mine in a seven figure transaction. Again, 
taking those step-by-step processes to build those systems made it possible for me to sell the business. Hey, everybody that listens to Superhumans at Work, know that all of these episodes are recorded with a live studio audience. Mindvalley members get a chance to join these sessions with the author themselves while we record these sessions. And at the end of every show, they actually get to participate in a Q&A session as well. If ever you're interested in joining Mindvalley All Access and become a member yourself, you'll get access to all the incredible courses from Mindvalley and so much more to be involved with Superhumans at Work, the Mindvalley podcast, and all the other incredible features when you become a member. We are disrupting the way that education works for the 21st century, and we want you to be a part of it. Go to mindvalley.com forward slash superhuman so you can learn more about this incredible offer, which will cost you less than $2 a day. That's mindvalley.com forward slash S-U-P-E-R-H-U-M-A-N. I absolutely love every insight from every story you share. And it brings me to that idea of the investment into the business, right? So how do you start thinking more like a business owner? Because sometimes I feel like I could find myself be trapped into thinking like a consultant, right? Where it's just like, okay, I'm a one-man person. And even in my trade, like I consult people on sales. You instead start finding employees. You started growing beyond the self. And sometimes it feels like I'm limited to seeing only a perspective of, I'm only going to be a one-man show, but now I want to reinvest. I want to hire people. What was the juice that made you kind of make that big transition? Wow, Jason, it's such a good question. And it highlights one of the very fears that holds people back, right? So... When we start the business, this is the path of entrepreneurship for a lot of people, it was for me. You have a job with somebody that you don't like or a company you don't wanna work with, or you've simply exhausted the opportunities there and you wanna leave. In my case, I just couldn't stand to work for the person that I was working for anymore. So I said, I quit, you can take this job and well, you know what? And so now I've quit one job and I start my business. And you wake up one day with a stark reality that you now have 15 jobs, including taking out the trash, something you never had to do before. And you got to answer the phones and you got to do the order confirmations. You're doing everything. And that is a day of overwhelm. The day you recognize that you are everything, that you quit one job so that you could take on 15. That's a tough day. But there's a great exercise that you can do about this. And it's a very fabulous exercise. We talk a lot about this in our business freedom experience. It's so very important. What you want to do is take a look at all the roles that exist in the business. What are all the roles? Not the people, not an organizational chart. That's old school, no go. We look at the roles. So there's a marketing manager, there's a sales manager, there's an operations person, there's a CEO, there's a chief financial officer. Now, you may be doing all those roles, but those roles exist nonetheless. So then what you do is you prioritize those roles and you go, well, I really like and I'm proficient at these ones. You color them green, circle them in green. You're happy to do them for some time. Then there's stuff that I'm good at it. I don't like it very much, but I'm good at it. Then you circle those blue. But then you look at the ones that you either are not good at or you really dislike and you circle those red and you immediately write yourself a letter of resignation. Dear me, I freaking quit as the CFO of this company. I'm giving you six months notice. You have six months to find somebody. You're probably looking for somebody detail-oriented, maybe a little more introverted, somebody who's very accurate. They probably like Sudoku puzzles. Good luck on the job hunt. I quit. And then you quit your next job. And I'm telling you, you write the letter, just like Keanu Reeves wrote himself the $10 million check that he was able to cash. You write the letter, you resign from the job. And you know what's crazy? Here's the thing. Let's say you hate doing your accounting, like me. You hate doing your accounting. If you hate doing your accounting and you feel like you're gonna have to do it forever, you don't do it. You procrastinate and then you rush and then you get it wrong and then you miss the filing deadlines and your business is gonna go under. 
On the other hand, if you quit and you know you've only got six months left, you've served notice, then you work hard in the six months. You go, I only have to do this for six months. You work well, you document your procedures, you write down how to create an invoice, you write down how to issue a purchase order, how to collect the debts, you write all those things down because you know somebody's, and then the day that it comes for you to hire somebody, you got the procedures, training them takes 10 minutes and boom. That is the mindset of an entrepreneur, that right there from the beginning, recognizing that it takes all kinds of people to play football. It takes all kinds of people to run a business. And you can't be all of them. This is absolutely brilliant. And yes, I have to admit, this is a fear that I have. So I'm so happy you share this system. I think it's a powerful one. It's a great reminder about something that I can just do within my home. So if you're listening to this podcast right now, this is a powerful exercise you can do right now, if this is some of the tasks that you're feeling, because I'm already thinking about those invoices. And I'm like, why? <laughs> and so it's extremely powerful. And Eric, I just want to thank you for really being able to address these fears one by one so that people that are tuning in can really identify them within themselves and seeing that we have some clear solutions on realizing there are safety nets. There are ways that you can behave. There's ways that you change. And there are more upsides than we've ever seen before when you step into the entrepreneurship field. How do you want to leave people? You teach this business freedom ideas. like You get people from being kind of like going crazy and feeling overwhelmed in the business space. What does it look like once people work with you and like have done these kinds of transformation? What are the key things you make sure they remember? I think that one of the most important things to recognize is that most of us went through a schooling system that messed us up. I'm sorry if that sounds a little naysayer or difficult, but basically you went to a school and your report card came back. And if you were very good at English, but you weren't doing so well at physics, they wrote should spend more time on physics. And so over the course of your life, you kept being told to put your efforts where you were not proficient. So we grew up that way. And then also we were taught something else in school. And that was that the harder you make something look, the more reward you will get. So you have two kids doing a presentation in front of the school. The one kid aces it and gets, but the other kid cries and stammers and stutters. That kid gets all the love and all the hugs and all the compliments. And we learn very quickly to make things look more difficult than they really are. And this is a deep, difficult truth for some people to accept. And by the way, if you go to the gym and you're working out and you start going, that's your way of telling the trainer that you're working hard. And we do this kind of thing all the time, these unconscious communications. So what I want to suggest is this, is that you want to build your business in a way that the jobs that you are doing are the jobs that you are world-class at and that you love. You want to do what you love. And that means every other job in the business should eventually be taken on by somebody else or automated by a system so that you don't have to do it. That's a key principle. We talk about two levels of business freedom. Level one is that your business operates so smoothly that you spend 99% of your time doing what you love. So if you're a chiropractor, for example, then you have an administrator. They do all of the other stuff. They do the patients coming in and the scheduling and all you do is do the adjustments because that's what you love. And so that's level one business freedom. Level two business freedom is that you now have a practice so big that there's so many chiropractors working there that if you want to not work, the rent's still going to get paid and you can be in the Maldives. And that's the ultimate form of business freedom, that your business is an actual asset. And that's where you want to go. One more thing about this is that again, in school, we were taught something else. And that is you should do it by yourself because getting help is called cheating. cheating. Yeah, it is. And in the business world, getting help is called collaboration. I mean, look at even jobs and Gates, right? I mean, for all the competition in there, didn't Gates stick something like 20 million bucks? Or sure, there was some cheating going on, but there was really largely collaboration if you really jump in and talk to the two of them about it. So what I want to suggest is that we need to figure out more strategies for collaborating. And I want to give you 
one of my favorite metaphors for this, as you know, through WildFit, I've been visiting the Hadza Bushmen in East Africa for many years. And the very first time I went there, they wanted to have an archery competition. And I'm no archer. I don't know much about archery. So they give me one of their bows and four arrows and there's a target and there's me and the chief and two other guys in the competition. And I go to pull the bow back and I can't, like I can't, it's so tense. Their bows are 30% more tense than an Olympic bow. They're so strong. You know, they hunt for a living. So I guess they got to have the right tools. And so I'm trying to like pull this back. I can't. And my ego's on the line. There are cameras. There's people watching. And I'm like, I can't pull it back at all. And the Bushmen, they're, they're smaller than me. They're going, bing. The chief comes up to me. And he says, pull the bow closer into your body. And I'm like, what? That's impossible. Now I have no leverage. Nothing. I can't. No. And he goes, no, no, no. Push with the other hand. You got to get mentorship. You got to get coaching. And then you got to be willing to listen to it, even when the advice seems uncomfortable, even when the advice seems counterintuitive. Because if somebody has walked the path before you, they know things you don't know. And you don't need to make a bunch of original mistakes. You can learn from somebody who's done it before and save yourself hundreds, potentially thousands of dollars and countless man hours and woman hours, by the way. Eric. Thank you so much for your time sharing all these incredible insights. I know for everybody who's listening into the podcast, this has been a fiery episode sharing a ton of insights for those who are looking to jump into entrepreneurship. We've eliminated a lot of the fears that go out there. Definitely dig deeper into this topic. Go and take a leap if you find yourself in a position that you can and realize that there's so many opportunities that lay on the other side. And of course, if you are a member of Mind Valley, we have the Business Freedom Quest that's coming up on Mind Valley. So if you are not a Mind Valley All Access member, definitely check a link in the show notes. We have the masterclass where you can learn more from Eric. And of course, if you become an all-access member, you can join us live where we have these conversations, have additional Q&A, and of course, get to take this quest as well. So Eric, again, thank you so much for your time and all your insights and all you superhumans. Thank you so much for tuning in. And until next time. Once again, everybody, thanks for tuning in to Superhumans at Work. I'm very grateful for all of you who tune in on a regular basis, listening to these amazing interviews with these guests that I get to find. Now, if you're subscribed to the show, definitely leave us a review if you can and share it with friends so that we can spread the message and get more people to be able to learn of these fantastic ideas that they can bring in their everyday life. And these episodes, of course, are brought to you by Mindvalley. When you go to mindvalley.com forward slash superhuman, you get to discover the transformational education that we get to deliver where we bring the best technology, the best teachers, and ensure that it teaches you what leads to a truly incredible life. Thanks again for tuning in and watching the show. And until next time, stay superhuman. My name is Jason Campbell, and this is Superhumans at Work, a Valley podcast. Save big money and transform your home with new appliances now at Menards. We offer the lowest prices and the largest in-stock appliance selection ready to take home today. Check out top appliance brands, including KitchenAid, Maytag, Whirlpool, Amana, and Criterion. Upgrade your home and save big money on new appliances at Menards. Shop our entire selection of appliance options online today at Menards.com. Save big money at Menards.